Hi, I'm Sam Connell. And I'm Kathleen Krauss, Teen Librarians at New Canaan Library. And we are here to record another Young Adult Book Brunch podcast. Is this our fifth one? I think it is. That's amazing, isn't it? We started back in March and here we are late July. So every month, Kathleen and I uh, read a book along with um, some of our teen book brunch members, and then we record a podcast. Right now, the library is still closed to the public, but we're hoping to be open to the public soon. However, if you are home, you can still sign up for the teen summer reading program, the Read Less Traveled. Just go to our website, newcananlibrary.org, and you get all the information. We have weekly awards and prizes, and it goes until August 15th. So our drop this week, we do a drop every week on either a different craft or activity. And this week we are doing a beach bag pickup. So you get your own tote bag, some book recommendations from our collection. It should be a lot of fun for anyone who wants to finish up their reading for the summer reading program or or just find some new reads. So we'll have a sign up for that drop and then you can pick it up next week. So let's get started. I have to tell you, I'm really nervous. I picked the book for this month and we read Nothing by Jane Teller. It's the winner of the prestigious Children's uh, Best Children's Book Award from the Danish Cultural Ministry. It's also a Prince Award honor book in the United States. So this was translated, it's a book in translation, which is, is something I always love for kids and teens and adults to read, just to get another perspective The book is essentially about a group of seventh graders and there is a boy in their class, Pierre Anton, and he decides one day to climb up a tree and he basically jeers and mocks at them as they walk to school and walk home from school. And he insists that nothing matters and it bothers these kids so much that they decide to look for meaning and they challenge each other and they they ask each other to give up something important in this quest they have for meaning and and that life matters and just to prove Pierre Anton wrong. And it escalates in the most terrifying and disturbing way. There are people who talk about this book that it's a little bit like Lord of the Flies and it's horrific what these children do to each other. But I love this book and I sometimes I don't like what happens in a book and I find a book so disturbing and yet it touches me so deeply and it haunts me and it makes me think if you look online there are some people who are passionate about hating this book and there are some people who think that it's absolutely brilliant and I'm very very frightened but I'm gonna head and ask Kathleen, what did you think? I think in the past, in our in our podcast, we've we've come against the problem that we'll both kind of feel the same way about a book, and we both really like it, and and there's not a lot of you know maybe pushback. So the great news here is that I did not love this book. Oh dear. Uh, I totally get what you're saying about. I think it's thought provoking. I think it's well done. And I do, I totally get why someone would like it. And I don't think it's a bad book. So I don't, I'm not questioning your judgment on this one. 
but I will say the experience of reading it and just getting to the end, which I mean, maybe I've never been happier to get to the end of a book, really. Like it was an ordeal. Um, and, and not, not that it was badly executed. I mean, I think it was just that you are in this space of all of these terrible things happening. I couldn't even guess the next horrible thing that would happen. It always surprised me. It was so intense that I just needed it to end. Yes. So we have to give a spoiler warning. If you have not read the book from here on out, we're going to give up all the details so we can pick apart why I loved this book and why Kathleen, I I mean, I'm with you on the trauma. I was very traumatized by this book, but I think, I guess I was hoping to tap into, I know you love crime and mystery and a lot of times murder. and, And I feel maybe you and I fell into what these kids do. The reason why things got so terrible was because they kept trying to one-up each other and and I feel like maybe we read Sadie by Courtney Summers and I was so traumatized by that but I wasn't sure I feel like this is not a book I could put in anyone's hands there are passages where I'm I'm actually like fighting back nausea what these kids do to each other is terrifying and horrific it's written as realistic fiction so that's That's where the real horror always lies for me. What human beings can actually do to each other and to to the world. It was a disturbing read. So basically, it's told from the point of view, from from Agnes's point of view. So she's this seventh grade girl. In the beginning, it starts kind of as as a minor exercise. These kids are basically having an existential crisis together. And it's fascinating the way it bothers them so much and the way they react to each other's challenges. In the beginning, it's pretty trite. There's another girl, I forget her name, and there's some beef between Agnes and this other girl. So this girl demands that she gives up her beautiful shoes that she had begged her mother to buy for her. And so they have this sawmill and they have a padlock for it and then they decide to collect things that matter and they challenge each other and they they call each other out on, well, that doesn't really matter. And then so after the shoes, the kids get vengeful and nasty. There's a there's a rape scene and these children are enacting violence on each other. It escalates to cutting off hair, demanding that one of the kids cut off their hair. And then one of the kid gives up his prayer mat and he gets beaten by his father for losing his prayer mat. So religion is challenged. One kid challenges another kid to steal the Jesus out of a carving out of the church. Uh, It gets gruesome. One kid challenges another kid to dig up her deceased baby brother. And it's, it was like a, it was a slow car wreck. I couldn't look away from the thing that stayed with me was the, the, the very rough ride, but it was such a fascinating philosophical exercise. I agree. And I think, I think if I approach it sort of from a more distanced clinical, it's just an exercise. It's just philosophy. It, we're just, we're just viewing this as what might happen sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I, 
I think I can appreciate it more on that level because if I try to take it on a more visceral, like this is happening level, it's so messed up. It, it is really messed up. So it escalates and it escalates. And then there's this one scene where Sophie is asked to give up her innocence and the reader is like, no. And just when you think it can't get worse, Sophie's experience transforms her and she becomes sort of the coldest and the most vicious. There's, I mean, it's, I don't even really want to list it all out. It's just a, a horror story. But in the end, I thought it, I, every time I think it can't get worse, it, it, it did get worse. And they demand that they cut off a boy's finger. He's the musician. It brings together the horror of, of all of these things. And in this search for meaning, it escalates. And that's when the parents get involved, the police get involved. And then this pile of meaning, which this is over the course of months. This is sort of a semester where, you know, some weeks will go by and they recover from some trauma and they think, you know, sometimes it's the quietest kid that demands the most horrific thing. And because once one of the kids feels that something terrible personally happened to them and they gave up something that meant the world to them, that meant their existence, they get a little bit vicious and so they, they, they don't feel that they have a voice when, when things do escalate because the, the answer is always, well, I gave up something that devastated me. And that's, you know, we are seeking meaning. And there's even a point where they say, if it's not painful, it doesn't matter. So they're trying to figure out what matters. And they go about this in this sort of horror story way. It's funny that you talk about, you know, eventually it escalates to the point where the parents get involved because one of my notes was just, where are the parents? I mean, it's this strange thing where it's not like they're on a deserted island or something. I mean, they're in their homes, but all of this, they have this whole secret life, this whole secret world. They're sneaking out, digging up graves. I mean, and it does, I think it does involve a certain, I think you have to kind of suspend your disbelief. But it just the idea of all of this stuff going on and they have no idea until the end. And then the world kind of gets involved and weighs in on whether it's it's this profound piece of art or if they're, you know, little monsters. Yeah, that's pretty wild. So another twist that you don't see coming is that a museum gets involved and First, the kids get in a tremendous amount of trouble for like the violence and the thievery and the desecration of important things and and beliefs. And they do such horrific things. And then you're reminded their children when they're like, I'm sorry, I won't do it again. (laughs) (laughs) The contrast is so startling. And so they're just basically in a lot of trouble. You know, two kids are in the hospital, one without a finger, one beaten for the second time because then the father discovers where his prayer mat has ended up. And then they decide to, Agnes secretly phones the local papers and there's a whole article written about it. And then the museums find out about it and a museum offers them a tremendous sum of money. And what's really shocking is that this sort of changes the tune for all the adults. And then, you know, suddenly the adults are like, this is incredible. Of course, this is art. What, this, what these children have done, this exploration, this seeking of meaning. 
but the ending. So I'm sure you were relieved to get the end. It's it's a it is a it's a harrowing. <laughs> I think what I kind of like about this book was how much it shocked and stunned me. There were a few things I read that shock and stun me, and I think a lot of times, I think for a lot of the haters for this book, it is I don't I didn't find it gratuitous. I felt that every step along the way was this exploration of what are your belief systems and what does matter to you and how do you define yourself? And I mean, it's, it's a valid question to ask what does matter. Nihilism is the belief that nothing matters. And this Pierre Anton, what a great character. He just sits in a pool <laughs> and he's throwing plums and he gets under their skin what did you think of the ending? Were you relieved? Were you upset? Did you, did it stay with you? Or do you just, do you want to just toss this book back and never return? I mean, I will say that, you know, there are all these points. I didn't expect a dog was going to get beheaded. I mean, there are all these things that I didn't see coming. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, selling it um, to a museum, all of that. But I will say that kind of from the beginning, it did feel like maybe it was building to this confrontation because they're doing all of this to impress or to get a rise out of or something with Pierre Anton. They're so distressed. They're so disturbed by these ideas that he's planted in their minds that they cannot shake off. And I just, so I did think it was interesting. I mean, he seems sort of like, you know, Socrates or somebody like this gadfly type figure who is just you know, he's just poking them. He's just like, what about this? And they're just destroyed by it. And so from that, it just felt like they're not going to be able to rest really until they have this kind of explosive confrontation with him. So I guess I wouldn't say I was shocked that they killed him, but at the same time, oh my God. Yeah. So that would, I have, so as I'm reading this book, I'm like, I'm so disturbed, but I also feel like, wow, this is brilliant. As the as 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 the the author challenges everything that anyone can believe, and how she does it through the eyes of these young children, this innocent exploration for meaning, which just taps into the darkest basis feelings they can have in terms of of greed and and hate and and revenge, and um, it's a little sadistic at some points. As I'm reading it and and thinking about its similarity to Lord of the Flies, I thought I reached that final confrontation when they chop off John Johan's middle finger or or his whatever finger he uses to play. And I remember thinking to myself, well, at least he didn't kill anyone. (laughs) (laughs) And then that final confrontation. And she also, I mean, the author has this incredible pacing where some of the roughest chapters are just one sentence, you know, and I think it was, you know, and, and Pierre Anton, he had us again, he kept outsmarting their thinking and the more they looked for meaning and the more they thought they could convince him, the more they get out there, he would, he would say something and it would devastate them that they were completely wrong. And I remember that, you know, what, as he, as they, as he finally agreed, basically what happened was they tried to kill each other. They go back to the pile and they break out into a fight. And with every feeling that has been pent up, they physically attack each other. And then Agnes runs to find Pierre Anton 
And even though Sophie couldn't get him to come down the tree when she was the last one believing in what they did, Agnes managed to get Pierre Anton there. And she says, you know, and he, he says, oh, if it's, you know, nothing matters, it's not worth fighting for. And then he turns his back on them. And she said that was his one mistake. And they completely attacked him and killed him and then set the entire thing on fire. And the way the kids react to that, they, they each come back to it and they don't get caught. The parents think that it's an accident and a fire and they each keep some of the ashes in a mailbox, I'm sorry, in a matchbox or in small containers. Um, my favorite, I'm gonna read you my favorite, um, I was online and like I said, it was really polarized. It, it really makes you think, but you really need to have the stomach for this book. <laughs> Part, I think if it were just sort of a simpler exercise, it wouldn't me or stay with me or make me think about the meaning of life the way I did with this one. But my favorite thing that I read online was one person's, uh, Mike M, when people were like, hate it, hate it. One person was like, brilliant, brilliant. Mike wrote, Buy two copies, burn one, and keep the ashes in a mail in a matchbox on your desk. You want the second one to reread. A fearlessly written novel. Every time I turned the page, I thought, is the author really going to go there? And she did. <laughs> so do you forgive me for picking this book? I do. And I will say that there is definitely something exciting about a book that does things you don't expect a book to do or maybe don't even want a book to do but just that feeling that it's going to push the envelope and and it's going to to make you dissect it and feel uncomfortable feelings about it I mean I fully admit that part of my dislike of the book just comes from it's so bleak and it just brings me down to this level of just like does anything matter so I think you know it's successful in that let me ask you a question though. So you love mysteries and you 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 enjoy even murder mysteries and some of the murder mysteries are gruesome. What was it about this? Was it because they were children? Was it because it was under the this concept of seeking meaning and and making violence a cerebral act? Like what how do the two silos work? I think that's a really great question because this is something that I was struggling with when I was reading it because yeah, I'm not opposed to these dark books usually. And I was thinking of even like, you know, is there a type of murder mystery I like, but even like, I don't mind, you know, like even slasher movies or things like that, that are really gory. I don't love gore, but I mean, you know, if I can, I can get past it if it's, if it's in a compelling story. So I was just thinking, why is it that these scenes of violence and they're just so vivid? Why was that really bothering me to this level and I think I I mean I'm not totally sure but I think part of it maybe was just there's something a little bit unreal or removed about things like that and I just think the way you see them weaponizing things of value and making making the things they care about their vulnerabilities and and just I we do that in real life. I mean, there was something very real about that and something very depressing about that. So it wasn't this kind of, it wasn't this remove for me where I could kind of look at it as a puzzle or, you know, just sort of a fun mystery. It was just like, no, this is just what might happen. It's real. 
So, okay. So let me ask you another question. Do you like anything in the genre of existentialism? For me, I guess as I've, I mean, I was an English major and I really enjoyed those classes. Like I, I enjoyed reading Kafka and, and, you know, uh, Camus and, and I, it's so, I loved the unbearable lightness of being by Milan Kundera. I kind of like these books where you're, uh, these characters go through these lives and it's, it's, it's realistic fiction, but completely unbelievable what's actually happening. That's a good, because I'm thinking about it. I'm like, man, I didn't like Camus. Ah. So. <laughs> I do like Kafka, but I don't know. I mean, it's, it's tough. I think there is something about that. And it's like, I can see why it's good, but there's just something where it's like, oh, I don't, I don't even want to open that door. <laughs> I get that. I think, you know, I actually really enjoy it, but I have to be in a certain mindset and maybe beach reads is not. <laughs> it's good for like cold, dark and dreary days. But did you, did you want to share a quote or do you want to just leave it at that? I, I can share a quote. Yeah, let's. And I, I do think, um, I mean, obviously, I don't know what it would have sounded like in Danish. Probably it was originally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but even the translation, I think. Uh, and I, I liked, too, that there is a note from the translator at the end. So that kind of was interesting, too, to illuminate sort of the choices that uh, I think it's a woman or a man. I'm not sure he or she made. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it it does sound I, I do like the writing even just in the translation. So I did think it was very thoughtful and, and it's not complex in terms of they're very short sentences, but they pack so much thought. So uh, this is toward the end. Uh, I didn't tell anyone about my doubts. I was afraid of Sophie, but it wasn't just that. It was nice inside the fame and the belief in the meaning. And I didn't want out of it because beyond that, there was only the outside and nothing. So I carried on parading myself around and looking superior, exactly as if I really had found the meaning and had no doubts whatsoever. It was easy enough to pretend. To be sure, there were still a lot of people against us, but the very intensity of the fight over the meaning of the heap of meaning could only indicate that the matter was of the greatest significance. And significance was the same as meaning, and the greatest significance was therefore the same as the greatest meaning. And I only doubted a tiny little bit, tiny little, smaller, nothing. Oh, yeah, I actually love the writing. I love that quote, mostly because you included that device she was using throughout that book, the superlative, that growing. So so often throughout the book, the writer would be like small, smallest, nothing or whatever. And it kind of it was just sort of random, but it started to tie into the whole book, this idea of you can just have a thought, something can just be what it is. It can be a little bit bigger than what it is, or it could be everything. Whatever that feeling is or that moment is to the furthest degree you can experience it. Her writing style, I, I, I agree with you. I loved the density of thought in every small. And I find that sometimes I really enjoy writing, reading books in translation because it doesn't roll off like the dialogue, the thoughts aren't as familiar as as when you're reading something written by an, an an English or an American writer. But when something's in translation, there's a little bit more thought put into every word because 
the the sentence structures are so different and the grammar is different. And so I love reading it. And there's a lot of sentences that give you pause and you stop and you reread it because of how they've phrased it. And so I love that about books in translation. And I think this is one of the better books and translations I've read. You you need to have a, a, a real stomach for trauma um, <laughs> for this book. Are you glad you read it? I am. I mean, I've I've heard about this book. I've heard people whisper, you know, this is a traumatic book. And I it's it is it does feel good to know why. Like not to just imagine, but to feel like I had that experience and now I understand. <laughs> Well, I, I'm glad we read it. And I'm glad I finally got to talk about it because when I, re- I first read this, I think three or four years ago, and sometimes when, when a book haunts you, I find it's better to like pick it apart and talk about the book with someone. So thank you for doing that with me. Yeah, this is the worst kind of book to sit with alone. Even like the week or so that I had between finishing it and recording this, I was just like, what am I supposed to do with these feelings, these thoughts? Like, you need to get it out. Yes. Yeah. No, thank you. I did need to get that out. And I and I, I actually do like existentialism. I like the philosophical exercise. So I have some recommendations if you read this book and it was too much for you, but you kind of liked some of the thoughts. You, you wish this book were as interesting as it was without being traumatic. I recommend Heretics Anonymous by Katie Henry. It's a book about this boy who's in, um, I believe it's a Catholic school, and his parents have him there because it's one of the better schools, even though he's not Catholic. I don't know if he's actually an atheist or um, his family just doesn't practice a formalized religion, but he develops a friendship with the girl who's absolutely passionate um, about her belief in Catholicism and is actually looking to change um, from within. She wants to be a priest and they strike up a friendship. And of course, she's not allowed to be a priest. And so they become friends with a few people and they they actually pull pranks. It's a lot more lighthearted than this, but also a lot of passages that make you think about sort of life and belief structures and what it means. And again, I think what this, what nothing by Jane Teller did really well was to say it's not so much about police systems, but sometimes it's just about consequences. The second book I want to recommend is Where the World Ends by Geraldine McCoughran. That's a book about uh, a group of boys I, a few centuries ago, I want to say maybe 1700s or the 18th century, but so they are, they're on an island and they survive by once a season getting on a boat and going hunting for birds that are on this one hostile climate. So you can't live on this island, but all of the boys when they're old enough go with sort of the elder men and they go and they hunt enough birds and they use the feather, the fat and everything. It's a, it's almost like a whaling community, except they're um, relying on these birds. And so they go and they're dropped off and then they get picked up at the end of the birding season, but the, the boat never comes to get them. And so it's a bit of a survival tale and it's a group of boys, and that's also very Lord of the Flies. What do they do when social structure is removed and how they try to survive and how they treat each other? It's dark, but it's not nasty, gory dark, like nothing. So it's beautifully written, so I highly recommend it. The last book I'm recommending, I might even put this on your desk, Kathleen, to push existentialism on you one more time. <laughs> This is super, super cool. This is a graphic novel. It's called Tina's Mouth, an existential comic diary. 
And so basically Tina, I think she's a sophomore or maybe a junior. I think she's a sophomore in high school. And so it's a great graphic novel. And she basically keeps a diary because she's in her, she's taking existentialism as an AP class. And so her teacher has her write a diary. Another student has to uh, catalog her garbage for like a semester. Another boy studies all the different belief systems across all these different cultures. But she approaches with lots of uh, philosophy, her struggles with falling out. She has a big falling out with her best friend. She has a typical teen struggles. There's this boy she has a crush on and what how he treats her and she sort of is sort of alone and how she deals with her family and all of their their cultural differences it's very well written it's very funny it's very lighthearted. so it's it's existential light <laughs> if you're so um if you if you are uh if you're into it and it's super fun and also just other things the little prince is a you know it's a children's book but it's sort of the same kind of thought of you know what matters in the world as a as a cerebral exercise and also the giving tree by shell silverstein if you want to if you want to go back to kinder gentler philosophical reading so that's it so what should we read next time all right uh... oh i'm so excited <laughs> So um, I think we talked about this, that the high school cart, we were both really excited about it and uh, we still have it for another month. So I wanted to pick a book off of that cart. And so I've done something maybe a little unorthodox this time, which is that these books have already been curated by the high school. And so I was going to pick from two books that I haven't read from authors that I have read. Cool. So this this might be a little selfish of me, too, because then I get a chance to read these books that I've been meaning to read forever. Um, <laughs> I think, actually, you have read one of these because you had a review yeah. of this. So are you ready? I'm scared. But is this, again, we've been outdoing each other with sort of, because I sprung something a little unorthodox on you last time. But now, so now you're recommending a book for us to read that you haven't read. That's a new twist. It is, I see. I, I feel like the kids in the book, like we're escalating, but nobody's been maimed yet, so that's good. <laughs> it's early. <laughs> no one's been. No one's been maimed. Uh, so um, the first book is uh, "With a Fire on High" by Elizabeth Acevedo, mm -hmm. and uh, so her previous book was "The Poet X," which is a book in verse. And as far as I understand, this book is actually in prose. So um, I'm curious to see how her prose is different or similar to her writing when she writes in verse. Um, so it's about um, a girl named Imani Santiago who uh, got pregnant freshman year. And so she's been living with her grandmother, raising her young daughter. And she has these dreams of becoming a chef and uh, she wants to study abroad. And, and so she has to kind of learn to balance, you know, she has all these responsibilities, but is there a way that she can follow her dreams and also put herself first um, in order to accomplish things as well? Uh, and then the second one is uh, Dig by A.S. King. And I think this is the one that you've read and hopefully you liked, but um, I love A.S. King. She writes these really weird, surreal, uh, really kind of, I guess, philosophical, very thoughtful and challenging books. And so I've read a bunch of her other books, but I haven't read Dig yet. And um, so uh, the really brief synopsis that probably doesn't capture it because it is so surreal is uh, five white teenage cousins are struggling with the failures and racial ignorance of their dysfunctional parents and their wealthy grandparents. 
and they reunite for Easter. I'm sure that doesn't capture the half of it. Not even a little bit. <laughs> so, funny. so yeah, I don't, I don't know if you have any thoughts. I did read it. I'm not going to share my thoughts right. here, but I will say that um, you're spot on. Very unusual setup. Um, for most of the book, I was trying to figure out what was going on. Um, but these are two excellent picks. And so I have read Dig and I have wanted to, I've been wanting to read with Fire and High. And I know it's about food. So that's always, you always have me at food. So, um, that's awesome. Um, so are we going to go back to democracy or should we, or do you want to pick? <laughs> well, I, I, I thought we were going back to democracy or we could just have you vote. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, let's go back to democracy. Let's put it in the newsletter. If you have not signed up for a newsletter, you can do that. Just just go to our website, newcanonlibrary.org, go to Books for Teens. That's where you can find information about our summer reading, about how to sign up for our newsletter. We've been sending it out every week all summer. We've got a few more issues left. And um, that's where we will put the voting. And I guess we can also put the voting on Instagram. Um, yeah, yeah. so that's another way. And we'll tally up between the two, whichever one gets the most votes, and we'll announce the winner. That's fabulous. So that's it. That's it for today. That was really fun, Kathleen. Thank you for reading nothing. <laughs> Are you going to say it was nothing? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for nothing. <laughs> Thanks for listening, guys. Bye. Bye.